Well, it is uh, Sukkot, and uh, we had a very nice time on Thursday. I don't know if you were here or not. We had a, uh, it was a little rainy, but it was okay. We had, the, like today, we had the first part of the service in here, and then we uh, went outside. And uh, it, was, uh, it was really very, very nice, and as we welcomed in uh, uh, Sukkot. And uh, this morning, we want to talk a little bit more about Sukkot. Because, you know, Sukkot is such a, it's such a rich holiday, and it relates so much to, uh, to life. Uh, Sukkot is about moving, constantly moving. It's about a journey on a variety of levels. It is about uh, the journey of restoration, when uh, we recognize its relationship to Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and then Sukkot, uh, redemption, uh, reconciliation, and restoration. So there's that journey. There is uh, our, journey, uh, our, our journey with God, as is depicted in the uh, Torah, when we read in Leviticus that we are to dwell in a sukkah, as we remember how God protected our people as they journeyed in the wilderness, uh, a journey with God, with God's protection, and so on. And then there is the macro sense of this journey, which is a journey to consummation, a journey to the alam haba, the journey of this world, not just our lives, but the journey of this world uh, to the alam haba, to the uh, uh, consummation. As uh, our ancestors understood it, as we'll see in uh, just a few moments. And then there is our journey, uh, the Beth Messiah journey, or our personal uh, uh, journey. Uh, and so, uh, you know, life is a journey. Being static or staying still is never uh, the goal. We're always moving, we're always growing. In a, in a particular sense, we're always growing, but we're always changing, right? No one stays the same age forever. Does anybody stay the same age forever? No matter how much work you put into it, right? No one stays the same age uh, uh, forever. Uh, and uh, no one is the same forever. Uh, we, we, we evolve, we think differently, we, we grow in, our, in, our, uh, in, in the way we view the world. We, we sometimes change our, our opinions. Uh, you know, if you ask someone who's 20 years old about the meaning of life or, or what their goals and aspirations are, you're going to get a different answer uh, at age 50 or age 60 or age 70 or beyond. You're going to get a different answer. Why? Because our world changes. And so not only do we change, our thoughts change, our, uh, the way we view uh, our worldview changes, and indeed the world changes. My, my, uh, if you grew up uh, in the 1950s or 1960s, you'd say the world has changed a little bit, right? We know that uh, the entire world used to be in black and white. Now it's in color, right? We know that. Uh, we know that culture changes. Uh, the uh, morals, ethics uh, of the culture change, evolve over time. Nothing stays the same, whether we're talking about better or worse. Progress, technology, uh, everything indeed changes. So Sukkot really um, hits the nail on the head when we talk about just the nature of God's creation. 
always growing, living, dying, changing season to season, uh, and, uh, and, and so on. And this, of course, you know, is depicted in a particular book of the Bible that we read on Sukkot, that unless you already know it, you would never guess that this particular book is the one that we would read uh, on, uh, on Sukkot. Now, if you're familiar with it, you know it, but if you're not, it's Ecclesiastes. Why would we read that book on any holiday, right? Uh, uh, no less, on, on Sukkot? We do because it talks about those cycles of life, about the ebbs and flows of life, about the journey. Ecclesiastes is about the journey. If anybody ever asks you, so what's that book about? It's about the journey, the journey of life. Uh, and we all know that uh, as uh, people, whether we are secular, religious, spiritual, we read the Bible once in a while, we all experience the, the simchas and suris of life. And that is what Ecclesiastes uh, uh, teaches us and what it describes and demonstrates. Now, Sukkot, therefore, you know, uh, speaks to the world that we live in. Now, there are several passages um, in the Tanakh and in the New Covenant that speak about Sukkot. And you know what's interesting? I, I did not add up all the passages, but I think that Sukkot is, uh, is described or spoken about more often in the Bible than any other holiday. Certainly more than Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. They're hardly written about any, anywhere in the Bible. A few places, you know, uh, in the Torah. Uh, Shavuot is uh, in a few different places. Certainly in a prominent place in the Brit Hadashah, in one particular situation. But overall, we read about Sukkot in the Torah. We read about Sukkot in the prophets. We read about Sukkot in the history uh, books. Uh, we read about Sukkot after the Babylonian captivity. We read about uh, Yeshua uh, gave a very famous little discourse uh, on Sukkot, uh, and it is alluded to in various other places in the Bible. For example, in uh, Devarim, in, uh, well, actually we'll start in Shemot, in Exodus. Just uh, one particular verse in Exodus chapter 23. Uh, in verse 16, it says, Also you shall observe the feast of the harvest, of the first fruits of your labors, from what you sow in the field. That's another term for Shavuot, by the way. Then it says, Also the feast of the ingathering. This is another, another title of Sukkot. The feast of the ingathering. At the end of the year. So we know that it's the end of the year. That's actually very important. You know, when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field. So Sukkot takes place at the end of the year. It is the fall harvest, the ingathering of the, of the harvest. So what, one of the things we learn here from Exodus is that this is an agricultural holiday. A, it, its most basic function is like Thanksgiving, like a Thanksgiving for the land and the Thanksgiving for the abundance of the harvest. So the, uh, the assumption is, is that God has provided the harvest. 
even though people work real hard at tilling the soil and things that I've read about in books. But uh, I know that things were not grown in a supermarket, right? Uh, so they say. Uh, and uh, uh, so people work very hard, but it is attributed uh, to God. So we give thanks to God for this Feast of the Ingathering. Very similar, like we said on Thursday morning, actually, very similar to like, uh, you know, harvest festivals that you have in lots of small towns, uh, you know, uh, homecoming, all that kind of thing, that uh, those types of festivals existed thousands of years ago. And God gave one in particular uh, for Israel to thank him at this particular uh, uh, time of, of year. Now, we also read about this in uh, uh, Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy uh, Devarim, there in chapter 16. There, we read here, beginning in verse 13, you shall celebrate the Feast of Booths. Here it's called Sukkot. Here it's actually called Sukkot. Okay? You shall celebrate the Feast of Sukkot, Booths, seven days after you have gathered in from your threshing floor and your wine vat. Now, it is kind of interesting, this is a little extra, that uh, evidently, if you look at all the texts carefully that either talk specifically about Sukkot or a fall festival, they're often associated with the threshing floor and wine vats. Interesting. So that grapes uh, must have been uh, an important part of this harvest. Grapes and, uh, and you know, the fermented uh, grape uh, or wine. Okay, so there you go. And you shall rejoice in your feast, and you and your son and your daughter and your male and female servants and the Levite and the stranger and the orphan and the widow uh, who are in your towns. Seven days you shall celebrate a feast to the Lord your God in the place where the Lord chooses, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in the work of your hands, so that uh, you shall be altogether joyful. Altogether joyful. There is a lot of emphasis on celebrating on this uh, holiday and recognizing that uh, God has given us a, uh, a, a, a provision. But it's very interesting that in only one place in the Torah do we read that this agricultural celebration of the fall harvest is given an additional meaning. And that is in Vayikra, in uh, Leviticus. Here we read that this agricultural holiday has an additional meaning. And we read this additional meaning at the end of chapter 23. First of all, um, well, to save a little time, let's just begin reading in verse 39. On exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days. By the way, that's another interesting thing about Sukkot. It's called the feast of the Lord. Okay? Uh, for seven days, with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Now, on the first day, you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Okay? Now, you know, in ancient times, there was a big discussion about what you do with them. It just says, take them. So you had some people who said, you build a sukkah with them. And others said, no, you hold them in your hands and worship. And, and shake them. Well, we know who won out because what we do and what we've been doing 
uh, since the late Second Temple period is holding them in our hand uh, and shaking them. And we're going to be doing that uh, this morning uh, in a few moments. That's called El Alulav. We have palm branches, willows, and myrtle. Uh, the myrtle is what is the, the foliage of beautiful trees. In Hebrew, it's called Hadassah, which, by the way, was uh, Esther's name. Okay? All right. And then it says in verse 41, And you shall thus celebrate it. See, again, celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast of the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a perpetual statue throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall live in Sukkot. You shall live in booths for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths. Now here is the one place where we see imposed upon this agricultural holiday a unique meaning for Israel. So that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in Sukkot, live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That's a fascinating verse. I taught a, whole, a course on this at, at MSI, and uh, of course I, I can't go into detail, but it is amazing because this is the only verse that talks about this. When we read the narrative of our people leaving Egypt, we don't read about them dwelling in booths, but we read about it here. And it says that your generations, that's us, right, uh, would uh, remember this uh, uh, perpetually of God's protection. Now, there's something else we need to know to clear up a little confusion about this holiday, because I know that for many of us here, how often are you going to hear a message about this holiday, right? Okay. And that is, in our, there's an unfortunate uh, um, term used. It's not unfortunate. It's not, it's not a bad term. It's just a confusing term uh, that's used in some English translations for this holiday. And I think it's only in, the, in one version that, that it says this. But, you know, in English, what do we call this? All? We always call this the Feast of what? Feast of Tabernacle? That's the wrong word. That is the wrong word. Mishkan is the word for tabernacle. Like tabernacle in the wilderness. You know, the tabernacle that they, they built and that, that they transported and that had the Holy of Holies and the bronze altar and, and the little pegs and all those other things, right? 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 That's the Mishkan. That's the tabernacle. A sukkah is something different. And it's unfortunate that the word tabernacle uh, has, that, that this holiday has that handle <laughs> of tabernacle. In uh, the Bible, it is clearly in uh, it, sometimes temporary shelter is used as a translation. Canopy can be used as a translation, although chuppah is a better word for that, like the marriage chuppah. Uh, or pavilion is sometimes uh, used. Some, some, sometimes it's translated that way. Or booth. But what it is, is a temporary shelter. And historically what it was, was for people who were working in the field, a shelter so that they would, so that they could take a rest from the sun or a little shelter where they might, uh, you know, sleep outside. But it was clearly not the, like the tabernacle. It, it, it's a different thing altogether, a temporary shelter. That's why booth is not bad. Oh, that's an, kind of an old fashioned word too, you know. Uh, shelter is probably uh, not a bad word. You know, actually, just the word shelter, right? Give me sukkah. Anyway, 
All right. Now, the word is used, uh, uh, and the holiday is celebrated, like I said, uh, in the Torah. So it's an agricultural holiday uh, and a historical now holiday for us to remember God's provision. Okay? But then, interestingly enough, in the first temple period, we read, in first, I'm not going to turn there to save time, in 1 Kings chapter 8, 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon is dedicating the temple, he picks Sukkot to dedicate the temple for some reason. What does that tell us? It tells us that this holiday was a prominent holiday, a joyous holiday, and it became somehow, it became associated with the temple. It became associated with the presence of God. Because if you read Solomon's dedication of the temple, it's not really dedicating a building. It's dedicating the presence of God, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the structure. Uh, and, and so that's very interesting. Then we read, you know the story that our people ended up going into captivity and then they returned. Well, interestingly enough, in both Ezra and Nehemiah, we read that they read the word of God on Sukkot and they built sukkahs. And so they celebrated this holiday upon the return from captivity. And when that second temple was dedicated, lo and behold, on Sukkot. Not only that, but you know the holiday of Hanukkah, right? Hanukkah is eight days long. Well, when, uh, if you know the story of Hanukkah, you know that the temple was desecrated, was desecrated. And then it was recaptured by the Maccabees and it was cleansed and dedicated. The reason that it's eight days long is that the, the Maccabees decided, even though it was a little bit out of season, to celebrate Sukkot, to celebrate this holiday when they rededicated the temple. Okay, We read in some of those books, uh, those late Second Temple uh, Jewish literature, uh, like in the book of Jubilees, you read there about extensive descriptions of the joy and celebration of this holiday. And then in the New Covenant, we read Yeshua uh, uh, talks about uh, uh, this holiday when he says, Anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, for out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And the text says it was on Hoshana Rabbah that he said that, on the seventh day of, the, of, this, uh, of this holiday. Uh, and, and so it, has, it plays a prominent role. And then in the very last book of the Brit Hadashah, the Revelation, we, we see that there are echoes, one might say, of Sukkot, about palm branches and God dwelling uh, with man, tabernacling, it says in, in, in Greek, well, in, in the English translation, but it really is the word for tent, uh, the same word for a, uh, a sukkah. And, and so... This is a very prevalent uh, a holiday. Now, this issue of journeying, though, uh, I find uh, fascinating. Uh, first of all, this journey of restoration. We started on, uh, on uh, Rosh Hashanah, right? On Rosh Hashanah, we emphasize uh, repentance. But wake up, right? We hear the, the shofar. Wake up. Remember, God is king. Uh, remember who he is. Remember who you are and begin this process of repentance, right? Uh, and for 10 days, we repent, we ask forgiveness, we receive forgiveness. 
And then we come to Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is, in a sense, the fruit of the repentance. The repentance is reconciliation. On, on Yom Kippur, we are reconciled uh, uh, to God. We talked all about that last week, right? We're, we're reconciled uh, uh, to God. Then the journey continues to uh, Sukkot, where uh, it, is a, it is the time of uh, restoration. Now, it's very interesting that, of course, in our modern uh, Judaism, Sukkot is kind of separated from Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are the high holy days. Sukkot is like another holiday that just comes after that period of time. However, if we go back into our, the, our sages and uh, our rabbinic literature, it's very interesting that there's a lot written, actually, about the relationship of Sukkot to Rosh Hashanah and uh, Yom Kippur. And uh, so I'm reading from a book by Jeff Rubenstein, but it's Jeffrey L. Rubenstein, okay? Different middle initial, different spelling of the last name, okay? Uh, a History of Sukkot in the Second Temple and Rabbinic Periods. Fascinating uh, book. So uh, here, Rubenstein uh, uh, talks about this parable uh, uh, that is, uh, that's in the literature that depicts this, uh, this relationship of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. So he says there's a, there's a parable. It is like the three holidays. It is like a province that owed arrears to the king, and the king went to collect them. When he came within 10 miles, the notables of the province went forth and praised him. So he remitted one-third of their taxes. Doesn't this sound like somebody else in the Bible talking? Uh, by the way, this sounds very. This is very much of the. I can't help myself. This is very much like the genre of Yeshua telling parables, because he was a sage of Israel. He was in that class of teachers, and so he told parables. That was not an unusual thing, and so this is another a parable uh, by uh, another sage of Israel. Okay. Anyway. So, uh, okay, so he's, it's like a province. It's like a province that owed arrears to the king, and the king went to collect them. When he came within 10 miles, the notables of the province went forth and praised him, so he remitted one-third of their taxes. Within five miles, the, the counselors went forth and praised him, so he remitted one-third uh, one of the taxes. When he entered the city, all the inhabitants went forth and praised him, the king said, let bygones be bygones. I'm sure that's a little bit of a modern translation uh, there. Okay. From now on, we begin the count anew. All right. So he explains this uh, himself. And he says, in this homily, Sukkot represents the final stage of a drama that begins on Rosh Hashanah. I, I love that word drama. I say that every week, don't I, about our service. Our service is a drama acting out, living out uh, this great journey. Love that. Okay? Sukkot signals the true culmination of the days of awe, when consummate forgiveness restores a, an harmonious relationship between God and Israel. Just as the parable concludes with an image of the king among his, his loyal subjects inside the town, so God is felt to reside again within his community. Isn't that great? And, and so Sukkot is, we're not making this up, you know, <laughs> Sukkot is the culmination of the repentance 
and the reconciliation. Uh, we, we celebrate. That's why we, we, um, that's why we indeed uh, uh, celebrate. So it is the journey of restoration. It is, it is the journey of restoration that we undergo as a people every year, communally on this journey. It is also a, a depiction of the journey that we're constantly on, I trust, of repenting. Remember, we said repenting has legs on it. Repenting is not just something you think in your head. Repenting is, is turning and, and living differently, right? We turn, we live differently. And as a result, we're reconciled to God. And as a result, we're restored to God. And it's, it, it, you know, we all sin, we fall short of God's expectation for us. And so there's constantly a need of repenting and being reconciled and being uh, restored. It is also, in the macro, it is the story of this world. Ultimately, of repentance, of, of reconciliation, and the restoration of this world, the Olam, uh, the Olam Haba. So every year when we come to these holidays, we live out this journey over and over again to both remind us of it and to relive it and to be indeed restored uh, 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 to God. Now, intrinsic to this, very much involved in this, is not only a journey of restoration, but as we said, a journey with a God, a journey with God. When I say a journey with God, a journey with God in our midst, just as the parable depicts. The king dwells with the people. And just as Rubenstein gives his, um, his uh, understanding of it, that God comes to dwell once again with his people. That is a very important motif of this holiday. When we say restored to God, it means that God dwells with us on the journey. The whole idea of a sukkah is a temporary shelter, not a permanent structure. And so there's constant movement. Think about it. Back there in uh, Leviticus, uh, the emphasis is a reminder about how God dwelt with the Jewish people in the wilderness. That was never meant to be a permanent place. Always a place of moving, moving closer to their destiny, right? But with God dwelling in their midst. There are many, many passages we could turn to where we read about God supplying all the needs of the people. That's what we're called to remember on, on Sukkot. We dwell in a temporary shelter, a flimsy structure, so we realize that our hope is not in the structure. Our hope is in God, you see. Uh, and, and, and so we could say, of course, you know, that uh, it, it is quite a, uh, quite a paradox that uh, we dwell in the flimsy structure, but our hope is, is concrete, one might say. Our hope, uh, our hope is in God. Now, this did not escape our sages, this idea of, of God dwelling in our midst. Uh, because in this passage in Leviticus, when it says here, so that your generations may know that I have the sons of Israel dwell in booths, there's a lot of discussion about that verse too, about what that means. And uh, some of the most well-known sages of Israel believed that this verse was actually a metaphor. And it was a metaphor for not so much uh, the actual physical, you know, physical structures, but of the cloud of glory, of the, uh, the Shekhinah, 
the pillar of cloud, and that uh, and that God dwelt, as it were, in a sukkah, and the people followed along. And that became, that sort of morphed and evolved into a belief that in the Olam Haba, what we wait for, what we're waiting to happen is for the consummation is called the heavenly sukkah. We're waiting for the, like the sukkah from heaven, where God dwells. This uh, issue that, that the sukkah is the place where the glory of God dwells. Now, again, I know I don't want to take the time to turn to it, but I'll tell you that if you go to the Brit Chadashah, the New Covenant, in Matthew chapter 16, there Yeshua is revealed in his glory, right? Along with Moses and Elijah, right? You know, Moses finally makes it into the land. Anyway, right? So what does Shimon want to do? What does Peter want to do? He wants to build sukkahs, right? He wants to build sukkahs because a prevalent teaching about Sukkot at that time was the, 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 the sukkah reminds us of the glory of God. And so we see uh, this understanding uh, you know, depicted uh, in, that, uh, in that account, right? Uh, now, uh, so again, back to this paradox of dwelling in a flimsy structure, uh, yet at the same time, uh, God dwelling with us. This is really very important when we talk about our, the lives that we live. We live, you know, we could say that the whole world is a sukkah, not just, not just that little thing next to our building here, and, and not just the sukkah we build in the back of our house, or, or our lives, our lives are kind of like a, a sukkah. But the whole world is a sukkah. The whole world is a flimsy structure. We live in a world uh, full of insecurity. You know, sometimes I like to quote uh, Jonathan Sachs, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. So he wrote a very nice little uh, piece a few years ago, actually, about this. That, that uh, Sukkot is a holiday of insecurity. <laughs> that, um, uh, of course, we as a people have always lived in an insecure environment, outwardly, think about it. You know, uh, the, the wanderings of our people throughout the ages and the persecutions of our people, very uh, tenuous uh, existence at all times. To this very day, when, when you think about the, the land of Israel, Eretz Israel, surrounded by enemies and on, on all fronts and around the world, right? A very tenuous uh, existence. But it's true for all of us. It's true everywhere we look, a very tenuous existence. Oftentimes, that kind of insecurity leads to greed and violence and looking out for oneself and all kinds of terrible things. But according to the Bible, what it does is it leads us to the opposite. It leads us to hope, to hope in, in God. Because you see, uh, in this insecure sukkah, God dwells with us. And God wanted us to remember that no matter how tenuous our existence may be, he dwells with us. And he has a great future indeed uh, for us. This is the story of the prophets. This is the story of the Torah. This is the story of the prophets. That there is a destiny there is a destiny for Israel. There is a destiny for this world. 
And that is the hope that keeps us going. This great trust in God. When you read about the prophets telling the people to repent, 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 repent. But then you read, for example, uh, we read this. This was the Haftorah uh, uh, recently in the book of Hosea. Get there. In the 14th uh, uh, chapter of Hosea, you have the most beautiful uh, words here. Uh, depicting the uh, the future. Now, Hosea in Hosea, we read about our people are are uh, not only idolaters but adulterers, and it's it's horrible, and and uh, you know, and and all of that. And it was going to be this captivity, but then we read, "I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily." And he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. And it goes on and on uh, about that, about that great, uh, great future. Uh, and uh, so it is uh, uh, with us. Sukkot is a reminder that in the midst of all of the instability and insecurity of this world, God dwells with us. He took us out of Egypt and he dwelt with us in the wilderness and he continues to do so as a people but also as a community and as individuals. So no matter where we're at in life and no matter how bad our sukkah might be, God dwells with us. The Bible says he never leaves us, nor does he ever forsake us. And he points us to this marvelous future. We read about this in the Brit Chadashah. We read these words in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And so, uh, no matter how much suffering we may uh, undergo for whatever reason, we know that this is not all there is. We know that we are on a journey and God dwells with us regardless of how tenuous uh, it may be. Now, the later prophets, the very latest of the prophets of Israel, especially Zechariah, uh, took all of, that, all of that teaching that came before him and God revealed to him that Sukkot not only is this uh, agricultural holiday, not only is a reminder of God continuing to dwell with us, but he is also, it is also the holiday of the consummation. It's also a holiday that depicts the journey to the end. And we read in the 14th chapter of Zechariah uh, about the uh, consummation. We read, for example, in verse 4, in this, in this Jewish prophet, in that day his feet will stand, this is, this is speaking about the Lord himself, okay? It says in verse 3, 
The Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights in a day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south, right? And you will flee by, uh, uh, by the valley of my mountain. And then it talks about how the geography is going to change, how there's going to be this big valley made in that day, okay? And, it's, and it goes on to say that uh, in verse uh, 6, and it will come about in that day that there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle, for it will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But it will come about that at evening time there will be light. And it will come about that in that day, Mayim Chaim, living waters, will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea, the other half toward the western sea. It will be in summer as well as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be one and his name the only one. It goes on to say in verse 11, the people will live in it. In Jerusalem, and there will be no more curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. No more insecurity. See? Uh, and then we read later on, uh, then it will come about that any who are, in verse 16, it will come about that all who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go from year to year and worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and do what? Celebrate Sukkot. And celebrate Sukkot. It is the holiday of complete restoration. It is the holiday not only of the restoration of us spiritually, internally, but the restoration of this world, the restoration of, the, of peace in this world, the restoration of Jew and Gentile. All the nations are going to come to Jerusalem. See? Uh, uh, it, it is the Olam Haba uh, depicted in Sukkot. So it is the journey to consummation. It is the journey to spirituality. It is the journey to restoration. It is the journey to uh, a consummation. See, that, and so that's why it is so joyous. That, uh, and we can experience the future now. We like to say we, we experience Israel's future today. How do we experience Israel's future today? Because uh, in Messiah Yeshua, the Mayim Chaim, flows through us and out of us in that day the, the lord himself will dwell in jerusalem it will be complete light there will be no need for a temple there will be no need for uh, uh light that is exactly what we read in chapters 21 and 22 of the revelation uh, and that it, because that is indeed the the, the consummation now, in this world, we still dwell, and that's why it's such a paradox today, we still dwell in these temporary flimsy structures, yet inwardly we can experience a sense, a, a, an appetizer, the first fruits of the Olam Haba. And that's why Sukkot is indeed such a joyous experience for us. And finally, you know, we ourselves as a congregation, uh, we are called uh, to not be uh, stagnant, to not be just uh, doing everything because it's the way we've always done it. Uh, uh, but we ourselves need to always be moving forward in our, on, in our, halacha, in our walk with God, in the way that we uh, observe, in the way that we do things. We are always in the process of becoming. We're always moving forward. 
and, uh, and, and so for us, uh, uh, Sukkot is, is a marvelous experience because, you know, seven years ago, uh, on this Shabbat, this Shabbat Chol this Shabbat of Sukkot, is when we moved from Hamilton Road to this synagogue, to this building. It was on this Shabbat that we marched our Torahs down Hamilton Road. And for once, the traffic had to stop for us at the corner of Morrison Hamilton. Okay? And if you remember, we had our service outside here. It was glorious. Then we came in. We marched our Torah scrolls in the building. Oh, what a glorious day, uh, day that was. So now it's seven years later. Not only that, but we have uh, existed as a community for 40 years. 40 years this coming year. And so it's time for us to move from the mountain, as, as God told Moses. It's time for us to, to breathe some new life into the way we, we worship, to breathe some new life into the way that uh, we, uh, we walk with God so that we can grow deeper in our relationship with God, that we can be more, make more of a positive impact on our community in varieties uh, of ways. Because Sukkot, see, it's a perfect time of year because Sukkot is emblematic of moving forward, of recognizing that we have not yet reached the goal, right? When our people were in the wilderness, they could not stay at Kadesh Barnea. They had to keep going. They had not yet reached the goal, right? Uh, Sukkot is emblematic of always knowing that we can do better. It's emblematic of knowing that the best has yet to come. It's emblematic of thinking outside the box, you know, if, if Moses thought only inside the box, it would be, well, there's sand, horizon, and complaining people. Where are we going to go? Right? He had to think outside the box. Uh, of course, that was a revelation that God had given him. Sukkot is emblematic of believing what we do not see, of walking in faith. It's emblematic of believing that we will not be defeated by the giants in the land. Right? Our people ended up wandering in the wilderness because that's what they thought. They thought, well, we cannot get to the land. So we're going to meander and go around in circles, basically. We don't want to do that. We don't want to have such a mediocre and defeatist attitude that we're not really celebrating Sukkot. We're sort of just walking around in circles. No. Uh, we want to be... Uh, remembering that God led our people forward and continue to, continues to do so unto this a day. Sukkot, therefore, is finally emblematic of, of trusting God. When we talk about this journey of restoration, of God's presence with us, of consummation, our journey is one of trusting God to keep on moving forward. So we are looking forward to new things both inwardly and outwardly. Inwardly, we're looking forward in this uh, coming year and the future to new opportunities to communicate uh, to ourselves and to our community the good news of Messiah. New ways to facilitate spiritual growth uh, among us. You'll be hearing uh, uh, about them very shortly. And, we want, and new ways of making a difference in our overall community to communicate with the, uh, the community at large about the place of Israel in God's plan uh, and the importance uh, of understanding uh, the call of Israel and the Jewish people. Very important that we, of all people, communicate that 
to the greater community and to remind our own uh, community of that as well. And then we also uh, uh, outwardly uh, feel, really believe that it's time for us. We've been here for seven years and we've been fixing this place up. So now it's time for us to do some perhaps major renovation to uh, turn uh, uh, the stewardship that God has given us of this property and land into something greater than what we see so that it becomes emblematic of who we really are and, uh, and of our own uh, uh, trust in God. And so you'll be hearing more, more of, of that uh, as well. And so, like I said, just to finish up, that, you know, it is a paradox. It's a paradox. Because while we're moving, we're also resting. While we're moving, we're resting. How do we rest and move at the same time? We move forward physically with, with our feet, you know, and our vision. But we rest in the Lord. And interestingly enough, this year in Israel is called the Shemitah year. The Shemitah year. That is uh, the year of release. The year of redemption. After uh, people would serve for uh, six years, in the seventh year, there'd be a year of release. People would be freed of their debt. It was also, uh, uh, another uh, important understanding is, this was the year, this is the year that the land would lie fallow. This is the year that the land would, we wouldn't plant. So uh, give the land a rest and the people are redeemed, right? What a wonderful picture of life in Messiah, that we are indeed redeemed. We experience that Shemitah when we embrace Messiah Yeshua. We experience that release from our debt, that release of spiritual debt. We still may owe, you know, uh, our mortgage payment, but, uh, but we are released from our spiritual debt. And that is what happens to us when we embrace Messiah. And that's why we can celebrate Sukkot every day of the year and we can experience the Shemitah in a sense every day of our lives as we rest in the Lord and move forward uh, toward this uh, consummation. So what a great day of rejoicing and what a great day to have a baby uh, dedication that depicts the, the beginning of, you know, the beginning of a journey for little Rosemary, right? Or, and may her journey be one of dwelling in the sukkah all the days of her life. And may that be true for you and I uh, as well. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you, God, for Sukkot. We thank you for the journey. We thank you, Lord, that you do not call us to be stagnant. You do not call us to stay in one place. You do not call us to always think the same thing and act the same way and do, and do the same thing over and over and over again. But we are alive. And when we, al when we are alive, we move. And thank you, God, that physically we move, we grow, we move, we experience new things in life. Lord, thank you that spiritually, we also, we're, we're living organisms in our belief. It's not religion, it's relationship. And so thank you, God, that a relationship grows with you, individually and communally. Thank you, God, that Beth Messiah congregation is not, is not the same as it was in 1975, or 1977, or 1978, or 1982, or 1985, or 1990, or 1995, or 2000, 2005, 2010, or even last year. Thank you, God, that we are constantly moving. 
that we, are, we have never reached the panacea. Thank you, Lord, that there is always room for improvement, the way we do things, the way we relate to each other, the way we observe our, our holidays, the way we participate in our community, everything. Lord, thank you, God, that you are alive and you dwell within us, and so therefore we are alive in you, and we're constantly on the move. God, we look forward because the best has yet to come. Lord, and we thank you, God, that you've called us to a destiny as a people and as a community. Lord, may we constantly repent so that we can be reconciled to you and always live in a state of restoration and joy. We thank you, God, in Messiah's name.